Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We are also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre, and very happy to welcome our guest this week, recurring guest and one of our good friends on the podcast, a Canadian tennis coach and former tennis player, Rob Steckley. Rob, how are you doing? Gentlemen, we're just doing great. We're <laughs> under home renovations right now, so... If I don't kill my wife today, it might be tomorrow. <laughs> that, that much fun, eh, Rob? <laughs> yeah. I've never gone through any of this before, so this is a, a big undertaking. But it's a lot of fun. I'm just joking. I it's, bought a uh, house that was fully renoed that I didn't have to do anything to because I've got some pretty soft hands. So uh, great with my volleys <laughs> at the net. Not so great with uh, reparations around the house. Good, yes. Me, myself, and I, same. <laughs> well, we should uh, we should start and ask you, I guess, in, in terms of the tennis landscape, what's been keeping you busy in, in 2023 in, in terms of the coaching side and, and how involved are you right now in Canadian tennis? Well, I've got my hands uh, tight in, in Canadian tennis. I mean, I think the last time we spoke and the time before that, I was trying to... Uh, you know, put my roots down uh, back in Canada and, and make it more of a, a long-term now and, and more permanent. So uh, this year we've been traveling a ton. I've been working a lot with uh, our transitioning girls. So Kayla Cross, Marina, Sakustic, uh, Vicky, Mboko. Uh, we had Cadence Brace. So we, we you know, we've been uh, touring. I just got back actually a couple of weeks ago and um, tour is good. Everybody's progressing. It's on clay now. So uh it's interesting always this time of year being Canadian, not really growing up on clay. So everybody takes, you know, a minute to adjust, but everybody's doing good. And uh, the girls are heading off to Europe tomorrow. Um, so I got a little bit of family time for the next few weeks and I think maybe I'll join them at some point, but uh, yeah, we just uh, been busy, busy bees. You've been working with this junior crew for, for some time now, Rob, and, and we know you as a coach also at the professional level you've worked with, Denis Shapovalov, uh, Lucy Safarova. Uh, last summer, you were working sort of on a short-term basis here in Toronto with uh, Yulia Pudenseva. I, yeah. I can go on and on with the pros that you've worked with. You get in the swing of things now working with the junior kids. Is it, uh, I'm imagining it's it's clicking that you're enjoying that young energy and, and what they bring to the court. But but what a different you know gig it must be from, from your time working with the professionals. I mean, I'd like to say it's, it's a natural fit, but I think I'm at a perfect point in my career and life in general um, to have the patience and also experience to bring to the table um, in order to be able to be a great fit for um, this age group. And so, I mean, I like to consider them, I think, transitioning pros out of the juniors and um, getting their feet wet in that world. So I come from that world and Obviously, my playing grab background brings me back to uh, junior days. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting um, transition for me, for sure. And I know that probably five years ago, I still wasn't really equipped um, patience-wise uh, to be able to you know, dive deep and really be um, current and present with that type of coaching style. So I, I really feel comfortable and confident now with my place and helping these uh, juniors and, and also pros, you know, at that, at that mark where they're 19, 20, 21, um, 
but uh, I'm really enjoying it, you know, and, and I think that's my point, because I know 10 years ago I had attempted and it wasn't for me. I needed something faster, uh, a little bit more at my train of thought speed. Um, and also, I think motivationally, I was a little bit different place than uh, I am now. So now I love bringing what I have acquired uh, in, uh, you know, my coaching experience from tour and bringing it to uh, the next gen. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, well, we can tell how much fun they have working with you. And I know Kayla Cross told me last summer in Toronto, uh, you know, what a great time it was working with you. Work hard, play hard. And I think they genuinely find you funny, not just dad joke funny, you know, so that's uh, that's nice too, I guess. <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm getting I think I'm getting more to that dad joke. <laughs> it's inevitable, you know, we can't we can't fight that. You got to just roll with that. At least that's that's how I find it. I'll take um, it. I there at this point. When I last saw you in person, I think it was at uh, the, the Tevlin Challenger back in the fall here in Toronto. And I was kind of asking you then, and I wonder if it's changed at all now, but, you know, do you still get offers from professional players either on a sort of part-time trial basis or when it's convenient with your schedule to coach them? Do you see yourself going that route again at some point, perhaps? Well, you know, I, I'm never too far from tour. I mean, especially... Uh, I think the the appeal and and questions come about when I'm seen out on tour. So anytime I'm close to an event or uh, you know I'm on site, then that's kind of when people are like, "Oh, Rob, you're still out and about. Would you like to?" Um, but I think as tennis coaches, if you're not really out there seen, I mean, people aren't really knocking at the door, so to speak. So. Um, I'll always get inquiries so long as I stay relevant and out there. Um, but yeah, it's funny with, with coaching. If you're, if you stay home too long and you're definitely not making yourself available, I, I would assume at some point those uh, offers stop. So right now I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm entertaining certain things, so to speak, but uh, I mean, my, my real passion is honestly staying with uh, our Canadians and, and really uh, forming an alliance and, and long-term relationship with everybody. And I, I, I see a lot of potential with all of our uh, grassroots and, and a lot of work in the pipeline, so to speak. I think I've been learning Tennis Canada's lingo now. And uh, we got that pipeline with juniors and transitioning types of uh, coaching styles and stuff. So um, I, I feel I'll be a great fit at in certain aspects and certain places and and uh ben we're going to start on wednesday at thornhill <laughs> <laughs> that's right uh for our listeners uh rob and i uh made made note of the fact that he's actually going to be at uh, the club that i i train and coach at uh this week uh so we'll we'll get that great experience you kind of took the words out of my mouth because i was either going to say grassroots or, or pipeline just as a, a follow-up to discuss you know some of the talented juniors that that you have worked with and i always like to sort of check in on the results of kayla cross and and maboko and and others like marina and and see that they continue progressing i mean kayla just cracked the top 600 she and vicky were just in a, a double semifinal a few weeks ago at an itf event um i guess how proud and are you of of the progress they've made and um uh, where do you see them maybe over these next several months in terms of, of goals, what they could accomplish? Well, I mean, it, the sky's the limit for them, truly. It, it's just a matter of getting them to truly buy into a professional 
um, day-to-day work ethic and mindset. Um, you know, I think that's the biggest challenge for us coaches when we're working with them. Uh, it, it, and I can speak for Kayla, also Vicky, you know, this week. Um, they've put in some really solid w- work, and I've been personally very satisfied with uh, the work. It's been you know, just seamless, so to speak. And so if they can challenge themselves to put forth that type of, uh, you know, day-to-day grind, put put the mindset in and, and challenge themselves to truly be uncomfortable, but also thrive in that um, realm, that's where all the progression is going to happen for them. Because, um, you know, going from a junior to to a pro and especially getting stuck in those 25 60s everybody can play and um you know it's really the ones that focus on the detail and the little extra stuff that they can do each day and really understanding their path to where they want to take their their game um is where we have to help challenge them and push them every day so uh i like i said um it's our job. And of course, to your point, I'm proud, but we're never satisfied. I think mm-hmm. the the past few days, I, I, I've felt as close to satisfied in Kayla's game and progression as I've ever felt um, with her. So I was very proud. Um, but I know that, you know, that you can't get comfortable at all. So I mean, yeah. she that now she's leveled up. Um, we've had great talks and 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 I think she felt extremely motivated on a different level right i think i felt that energy of of really believing in her game and and fundamentally seeing you know certain aspects that have really gelled and um i think that's the exciting part as well is seeing her understand now whereas last week she didn't have you know that that understanding so i hope that she can understand that Next week, she could lose all of that, but that's where you have to double down and you can remind yourself of how you felt and what it felt like to put in that work and what you're focusing on in order to maintain that level. Um, and so, again, like that's they're going to Europe and, and Arf is going to be in charge. He's going to do a great job. And then when I join him, I'll, I'll try to pick that work back up. But um yeah, work. It's it's never done, especially at this stage. That's what is very exciting. It's like there's there's so many different levels you can unlock, um, and especially coming from my background in in the tour, understanding that it's just the little things that make a big difference. And at this mm-hmm. stage, um, it's more work getting them to buy into it. But then when they level up, they make huge leaps. And so that's the exciting part about what I'm learning about myself in this coaching journey um, at this stage is, is you can, re- if you really put in the work day in day and believe in the player and, and everybody's on the same page, that uh, there's tremendous um, ability to really jump and leap forward. Um, whereas the tour, um, it's minimal, but you get bigger results because you're already at the top stage. So if that makes any sense, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I, I love that coaching philosophy and uh, got to, got to impart that on, on some of our students. That's, that's awesome. I, I wanted to touch on, I mean, the fact they are in, in Europe together and, and we've seen Kayla and Vicky play doubles together a lot, which I think is great. 
Um, just on tour now, we've seen, for example, Layla Annie Fernandez, like her singles game isn't really clicking, but she's getting great results in doubles with, with Taylor Townsend. Do yeah. you as a coach, you know, emphasize having your juniors compete in doubles a lot? And uh, I guess, what do you think that can do even just for your singles game, um, on the court practicing doubles? Well, I mean, I'll speak closely on, on, um, on Kayla. Uh, uh we use doubles, I mean, tremendously, uh, each week we really try to pair her up. Um, I mean, right now it's actually funny because it's not as easy as being able to pair up with just anybody because we have to take into account her ranking and where she could fall in um, to the main draw. Uh, so it it's a learning curve for her, but um, each week we try to get her to play doubles uh, and especially with her progression on what she's working Um towards trying to get to the net a little bit more she's got great hands uh she needs a lot of work on transition return serve and a lot of these um moments you know they're 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 little issues that arise in the singles because she's confronted with more court and sometimes she'll get down on herself because she's facing better players and in the doubles it's just another opportunity to go back and fine tune things. And then we, in addition, go back and work on the singles part. So if she's exited a singles draw early, we can almost uh, rely on her going fairly deep in the doubles, which keeps the, the, uh, the workflow going in a tournament mindset. So we get the best of both worlds. And uh, I've seen tremendous success with anybody not only kayla but all of i mean i we did the same with dennis and he paired up with popana boom and uh lucy did the same thing and before that i didn't know what i was doing so (laughs) (laughs) playing doubles does wonders for me too um but uh, on a far far lesser scale obviously than the players you're accustomed to so i can relate to that even as a hack tennis player that i am um and I'm, I'm guessing as well for those juniors, you know, having that chance to go back out in doubles, maybe good mentally as well, just to get over a, a disappointing loss in singles, to have someone mm-hmm. to share the court with them there. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about the pressure that's on these these players, you know, as you said, sort of transitioning from junior to pro. I mean, tennis fans put so much pressure on players to perform, uh, meet their expecta- expectations. Uh, the players themselves are putting that pressure on them, probably getting it from their family too. Tennis Canada had a cool initiative last summer here, which was the uh, mental timeout program uh, mm-hmm. at the tournament in Toronto. They're going to be continuing that again this year and, and a chance for players to receive some positivity cards from fans, sort of pump their tires, make them feel good and, and hopefully sort of counterbalance a lot of that negativity that's out there. As a coach for emerging players, how do you prepare them you know, for that side of the sport, which unfortunately is a reality that they're going to have to deal with? And I'm, I'm sure it exists at the ITF level too from you know, fans who've lost money gambling on these matches. What, you know, how much attention do you put on that uh, aspect of their development? Uh, I mean, you you want to educate them because it's real and it's out there and it is in the ITS. I mean, the girls that uh, are coming through uh, the TC program, they, um, they're dealt with it every single day. It's incredible. I was surprised. I thought, you know, maybe it might miss uh you know the younger gen and and just it happens in in the pros there but uh unfortunately it's just across the board they're they're degenerate gamblers everywhere and they're just placing bets and making horrible comments so i mean i don't try to fixate too much i fi- i i find humor in it because i mean if you can educate them on 
you know, the type of mindset that it takes for somebody to take the time to write almost comical stuff, which can be threatening at times, but, but I mean, it, it's just absolutely absurd for somebody to actually go the, to the lengths that, that some of these people do. And um, as long as the kids aren't um, really, you know, drawn to their cell phones too much and they understand where to draw the line, um, it shouldn't affect them. I, obviously, you know, the more pressure that, you know, they're feeling during these matches, it doesn't help to to hear ne some negative comments. But I always tell the kids, listen, at the end of the day, you don't go straight to your phone. I mean, we ha we have a rule, you know, that it's just if you're going to come and hang out with us and 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 uh, we'll go through things. We're going to do our cool down. We'll be professional. I don't want that cell phone uh, turned on immediately because I, I have seen at these tournaments where the first thing uh, some of these players do is they subject themselves to the cell phone and then reading comments and and. You know, that that's where you have to kind of educate them, like, do not go straight to the phone. And I think the younger generation have a habit of that. So um, just breaking some of that um, until they're in the right frame of mind and then they can see the humor in some of that. Did I mean, well said, really well said there. I think that's a you know a great way of looking at it, too, for them. Just take that time out before you, you pick it up again. Back in your day, and I'm not trying to date you here, but uh, did, did you receive oh, that negativity? In, in no. just in a different way. I mean, did you get it? You know, like like snail mail showing up at your front door. Did you have fans heckling you? Had too many beers at your matches? What you know? How did that present itself in your day? Oh my god! First, I'd have to go to the internet cafe, sign in, pay a tab, wait for <laughs> seven and a half minutes for the computer to load up before I'd ever get in contact with anybody. But no, nah, I never really dealt with anything. I mean, let's let's face it. The, the everything has changed uh you know everything's so instant now i mean these kids are exposed to what only celebrities would have been exposed to back in my day so um i don't even think it was on my radar I and mean, until somebody confronted me face to face and then we had different ways of dealing with things so uh totally different generation and and that's why i find it sometimes comical because a lot of the time i find a lot of the people out there are so over the top sensitive but again they're exposed to so many things that we weren't ever so you have to take that into consideration and understand that uh you know it's not 1980 not 1990 it is you know 2023 is it you got it that's yeah, yes. bonus points <laughs> <laughs> So you just have to understand that, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really deal with it, but I do know that um, it's a sensitive topic. And that's why, you know, Tennis Canada's come out with that, that, uh, you know, take time. And uh, what's, wh what is the campaign again? Mental it's timeout. Ment mental timeout, yeah. Mental timeout, because I actually just saw that for the first time. I saw it, uh, Bianca and then, mm -hmm. um, uh, what's his name? Um uh, Rob Alexi uh, Gallarno is involved. That's it. That's <laughs> yeah. There, there we go. There we go. Yeah. And yeah. I thought that, that that's yeah quite interesting. I, I think uh, very cool of Tennis Canada to take the initiative to do that and uh, and take the time. Yeah, because I mean it is real, and I know that uh, it is something that everybody needs to be on the same page about because uh, it can't be taken lightly. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to touch on 
you know, the, the certain routes you can obviously take as a, as a professional or player who wants to go from junior to professional. And we, we've seen a handful of our Canadian players do it. Alexi Gallarneau is one of them in, in going the college route. Is that a discussion that's kind of on the radar right, right now with you and a couple players? Like, is college the route for me to take? And, and what are your thoughts on it? Well, it's never the wrong decision. I mean, if you're, uh, if you're clearly ready, result-wise, ranking-wise, you know, there's got to be a staple as to w- where um, you you will make the decision as to not take the opportunity to go to school. Um, and I think a lot of the programs, and this is what I'm, I'm learning too, is the last couple of years really venturing into which program would uh, benefit the player transition right if their ultimate goal is to go pro they might need another year or two which um which college is the best route because some of them are geared for ncaa college and you want to go through the four years some of them actually are known a good friend of mine josh goffey runs a great program at uh, university of south carolina gamecocks and his philosophy is get them in and get them out as quick as possible so he really likes to um, take on players that actually have, uh, you know, the idea that they they want to do a year or two and then they want to get back out there. So his program is designed um, to transition into the pros. So he really he comes from the pro tour. He's, uh, you know, pro mindset and uh, he does his business very much so. So he encourages uh, his program to do that. So I found that's a learning curve that I started to understand. So now, you know, with our transitioning players, I try to look for um, if they're truly ready physically, mentally on, uh, you know, and they make their, they meet their markers and, and, you know, they have the finances and everything's set to, uh, you know, transition seamlessly or as close to, I mean, there's no guarantees, but um then that's the decision, right? And ultimately, I think that's what all of our players from from uh, the Canadian team are really facing right now is, is are you ready or do you need another year or two? And then finding the right fit to um, facilitate your ultimate goal is to uh, get in and get out as fast as possible. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I know Kayla is entertaining the idea of going to Vanderbilt, which is a great program. Um, but her first ultimate goal is to go pro. So this year we'll need to tidy up a few things, get some work done and, and, uh, hopefully progress through the rankings a little bit more. She's going to take the fall off and, uh, then we'll, we'll, uh, reassess and see where we are at in December. Okay. No, oh, that, that, that's great to hear, Rob. I actually have to go for now, but I know Mike has a couple more questions for you, but uh, always great to chat. Yeah, I'll see you on Wednesday. Yes, you will. See you Wednesday. Okay, Siva. All right, Steckley, you're all mine now. Yes. This is the uh, this is the over forty portion of the uh, the chat. You have to be born in 1980 or earlier to uh, to continue here. So, just you and me. And uh, and thanks, by the way, for joining us once again. You know, you've been one of the the regulars, one of the original guests on this show, going you're back to when we started. You know. Yeah, I love it. And we always reconnect at the same time, play season. Is that it's just, and that's just you know I don't know how that works out that way it's just coincidence I guess I mean did you consider yourself much of a clay player back in the day or is this just random that we keep talking at this time of the season? 
No, you know what? Um, it was never my first surface, but as I progressed um, and, and matured, and this is something that I speak to um, all of the players about, you know, I, our transitioning players, um, is is even, I mean, it, it challenges movement, it challenges uh, thinking, um, you have to be more patient, but it also... Um, Finding the right clay because there's different surfaces on on faster clay, slower clay, super clay, you know, super slow red clay. Um, so me being from a hard court, uh, you know, first and foremost, loving faster surface. I found um, a lot of improvement in my game and mindset when I was able to transition to a faster clay. So I found success in later in my career on a faster clay because I was able to uh, work on my movement. I was able to actually slow down my thinking process, even though I wanted to get rid of the ball. And then when I went back on the clay, onto the hard court, sorry, um, I was a little bit more patient. So I set my points up better. I, 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 I thought about what I was doing. I was really, you know, there was a serve plus one or two. So there was a lot more intention behind my shots, which ultimately helped my game tremendously. So um, for a lot of the players that I, I help right now, we, we understand that, um, you know, we, I call it the, the devil's dirt, you know, it's just, it makes you overthink it. It, it frustrates the hell out of you. Um, it, and it exposes all of your weaknesses very fast. Right. And you become very vulnerable out there. So I, I, I learned to embrace it because within that, right after you get off of that, you find a ton more of success. So if you can constantly search for answers within that period, which has been the topic of conversation for the past two months with these girls, um, I've seen them progress. And now, you know, uh, it's a perfect example. Kayla has been playing much better. Whereas if you saw her eight weeks ago, she, she was frustrated and things were exposed. and And we knew that, you know, the results were going to be much harder to attain. But if you're thinking long-term and, and really always ultimately uh, pro pro mindset like that, uh, you know, this is the work that needs to get done and you have to fight through it and, and really start to earn, you know, the, uh, the results and, and the work. So um, I come from that. So, I think that answers your question. I like the term super clay that you said there. I think you misspoke when you said it, but that sounds like a cool service. I want to play on that. Clay. Yeah, that's on Mars. Right. I, uh, but, you know, I do appreciate the clay more as I get a little bit older. And I grew up playing on both in Mount Royal in, in Montreal when I was a kid, not far from Jerry Park, going from the green clay, the hard true to the hard courts. But now I think I appreciate it more because it's just a little bit easier on the body. gives me a little bit more time. Um, yeah. And I definitely have never been accused of overthinking on a tennis court. So that's not my problem. No. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I actually, uh, this past tour, we did, you know, the American circuit, we were doing a bunch of 25 sixties and, and so I dusted the rackets off and I started to play in the first few days of playing. The balls were so heavy. My, my movement was sluggish and I can get away with, you know, a solid hour on a hard court now. Um, and I really thrive on that, but, but the clay, for some reason I struggled, even though 
as you get older, it's a little bit easier to handle the slower ball and, you know, it's nicer to slide a little bit and whatnot, but, but, uh, it took me two weeks, but I was actually almost training with these girls. I was like, all right, girls, I'm going to get my game back. And this is pissed <laughs> off. But don't you know that two weeks after that, I'd, I'd gone back to, oh, my God, maybe I should play some tournaments. <laughs> Never too, too late to teach an old dog some new tricks. Oh, right? my so, God. Yeah, you keep us posted. We'll uh, publicize that comeback here on Matchpoint Canada yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hey, look, we just got a few minutes left before this uh, Zoom call turns into a pumpkin again. So I, I wanted yeah. to ask you at the pro level a little bit about, you know, we're getting towards the end of the clay season. Boy, it does seem like a long one. Um, but I think I appreciate it more and more each year. And, you know, we've got the horses. We've got the Canadians that can definitely contend on this surface. We've seen it from Felix before. Uh, Dennis has had, some, has had some deep runs at, at a couple of clay court 1000 tournaments in the past. Bianca obviously comfortable on all surfaces and, and Layla Annie, a French open junior champ. And, and she was having a great run till her injury last year too at Roland Garros, but mm. the Canadians seem to have, I don't know, kind of, I don't want to say stalled, but a, a little bit that progression that I think fans here are so eager to see because of some of the great results we've had has maybe slowed a little bit. What do you think the Canadian pros can accomplish in the time that's left on Claire? Are you feeling, you know, like, like any of them could be poised for a, a decent second week run in Paris? I mean, anything's possible. I, I think that fans need to understand that there are moments, um, you know, when when Canadians will hit a bit of a stall and, and that's okay. I think that the most important for all these pros, I've seen them just recently in Miami. I was watching them all train and, and play their matches. <clears throat> and I took I took uh, the girls there, Vicky and, and Kayla, and I went with Arf and... Um, they're doing the work, you know, and, you know, it's all about progress and, and, uh, you know, whether it happens on the clay or it transitions into the hardcore season, um, you know, you can always expect that these guys are going to go out there, give them their best, and then they'll always come back with results. We just never know when, and we'd always like to hope and think that it could be a second week run for any of them or all of them at uh, the French, but it also depends so much on, you know, the climate and, and what type of French open it'll, it'll be, you know, it, is it going to play a little bit faster? Is it dry? So it'll help some of our, our uh, guys, especially like somebody like Dennis, even Felix. Um, is it going to be wet, cold, slow? I don't know. You know, so the, the conditions change so much there. So you have to be ready for it an entirely different tournament so it's too early to, to predict but those are the little things that from my experience being there that you know if it's going to play a little bit you know faster then it benefits certain players if it's going to play wet and slow then it's a nightmare for most people except for the ones that just hang behind the baseline and they'll just slug away so i mean we'll see i mean hopefully it's dry plays a little bit faster and i think it'll help all of our canadians a little bit and and is the draw going to be kind to them as well? Because my yeah, goodness, who knows? Who knows about those draw gods? You know, there there could be a number fourteen. It can be seed. mean. Yeah, who knows? There, there could be a number fourteen seed by the name of Rafa Nadal. You know, which is kind of hard to wrap your head around that he could be seen. I don't there. think there is any such thing as a good draw anymore. I think everybody's just so ready to go deep, and and there's just so many players, and the tournament's stacked with. Uh, um, talent. So, I mean, everybody's working and <laughs> believes, you know, in themselves. I don't think there is anybody that doesn't believe in, in, uh, 
in themselves anymore. So I think, I yeah, whatever way you look at it, it's going to be a tough draw. So you got to ha handle it on that day and see what happens. Well, look, we wish uh, great conditions for you and your young charges and, and good draws for them as well. And, and hey, thanks for dropping by and just updating us a little bit on, on what you're doing and what they're doing. And, um, you know, I think for, for our listeners to hear the updates from Kayla and, and as well, Vicky, over the years, we're, we're kind of like living that, um, you know, development and ascension into professional players through your, your eyes. And it's just a really cool vantage point. And um, dude, great to see you again. Thank you so much. Yeah, for absolutely. Us. Yeah. I always enjoy our talks and uh, excuse the mess. I know nobody, our listeners can't see, but, I'm 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 trying to hide from the family because the kids are going crazy. They, we were setting up a trampoline just after I got back from practice from the girls, and so. Well, you uh, can tell them that the podcast has another hour to talk with you if you want to hide out down there. I don't mind going along <laughs> with that for you. Okay. I might just do that. All right. Look, all the best, Rob. We'll catch up again soon, man. Absolutely. Okay, Mike. See ya. There you have it. Our conversation with Canadian tennis coach and former player Rob Steckley, who, Mike, I'm super excited actually to see this week on the tennis court. He is coming by my tennis club to uh, work with some of our juniors, which is pretty exciting for me, too, honestly. Hey, maybe he'll take some time and work with you as well if you're lucky. I need plenty of work. I promise you there's there's plenty I'm sure he could fix in my game as well. Great coach and great for all levels. Hey, the guy can do it at the pro level. He can obviously cut it with the juniors too. He's got that. It's interesting that he said it took him a little bit of time to sort of, you know, like get to that level where he felt he was clicking properly to coach juniors or younger tennis players. Cause I would have said, boy, this guy just seems so suited for it with his outlook and his attitude. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I think that's, that's very measured of him to recognize, you know, years before that maybe I'm not cut out for this, or maybe I'm, I'm not all in uh, on this working with juniors. And of course we know his extensive uh, resume working with some great pros like Dennis and Safarova, Pavluchenkova, uh, Yulia Putin-Seva when we spoke to her just the other summer and he helped us sort of land that exclusive interview with her. So, which we really appreciate. And, and it's always great to hear those insights and, and the great progress of, of Kayla Cross and Maboko and all these great juniors that we do have in the pipeline uh, who will be faced with some of those tough decisions. Do I take the college route? Um, am I ready to kind of transition to, to be a pro right now? Uh, which is obviously, I'm sure, exciting times for him too. Yeah, and, you know, great decisions to have. I mean, how many players, tennis players, would love to be in a position where, yeah, I could go pro if I want to and give that a go, or I could take my skills and, and get an education at the same time, turning pro a little bit later. So a good position to be in. And and very much also, you know, thanks in, in part to the, you know, the tutelage and, and guidance that Rob has provided them with. So uh, great guy, great to have him back. And uh, ups the cool factor a little bit of the pod because he's, uh, he's a cool cat for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, if if we continue on and discuss some of the tennis action that we've had over the past couple weeks as uh, the clay court swing continues, big event in Madrid and starting on the women's side. Uh, I mean, you know, normally we're talking about parity on the women's side and, oh, the WTA is so open. I don't really think that is the case in 2023. And look, we had one versus two in the final, Iga Sviantek versus Arena Sabalenka. And what a big time win for Sabalenka to get this title 6-3-3-6-6-3. That improves her record to 29 and 4 in 2023. She now has five WTA 1000s overall. And this is, uh, without it, at the biggest clay court title of her career, which I, th I think begs the question now. I know Iga still holds that number one ranking. 
But given the form we've seen from Sabalenka this season, is there an argument to make that maybe she right now is is currently the best player in the world? Well, this is a huge win for Sabalenka, just confidence-wise, to do this on clay. And, and really, with Roland Garros coming up so quickly, has definitely changed the narrative that we would have you know, thought and, and sort of propagated coming in, which up until now, Iga was looking very much like the queen of clay and, uh, and the very heavy, heavy favorite. And she's still the favorite to me, but Sabalenka yeah. clearly is learning and adjusting and making those tactical changes to her game and now believing in herself that she's not just someone who can get it done on a faster surface. And she had never beaten Sviantec previously on, on clay in their three previous meetings. And all of those losses had been straight set losses and Iga had beat her quite handily. So this one I think is going to go a long way to changing, you know, her belief should they meet in the finals at Roland Garros. And, you know, to what you said in the beginning there, having the number one versus the number two, I love it. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. And and I love how the WTA and ATP have sort of flipped the script right now because the men's draw was just total chaos, um, you know, with Jan Leonard Struff getting to the final, which we'll speak about a little bit later. Um, but I'm liking having this one versus two and starting to see it more regularly on the women's side between these yeah, two fantastic and- women. Oh, totally. And and building these rivalries. I mean, getting to talk about a potential growing big three on the women's side, I think is really cool with when we touch on the incredible results Elena Rybakina, of course, has had this season and prior to last season winning Wimbledon. And, you know, Sabalenka is right there in the upper echelon. I think a player who's a threat to win any given tournament she plays in. And if we checked in on the the WTA rankings last year, this same point last year, or even in the summer of last year, it wasn't just a gap between Iga and number two. I mean, it, it was a chasm. Uh, she was thousands of points ahead. It looked like nobody could touch her. And right now, if we look at the live rankings, uh, Iga Spiontek with 8,735, Arena Sabalenka, 7,541. So, you know, just 12... 100 point gap and you think about what Iga will have to defend in the coming weeks particularly Roland Garros I mean that's the biggest challenge there defending 2000 points that uh there could be a risk and we could see a change uh, to the world number 1 that could happen in the next few weeks you never know although I'm also expecting this is going to push Iga even harder you know to just strengthen True. that resolve to mm-hmm. to motivate her and uh and for her to go back to the drawing board a little bit too and say hey what didn't work for me this time that had worked for me all those other times that I faced her on this surface. And so I don't expect her to stay stagnant either. And and that's, what's great about this is both players are clearly improving, getting even better, which is hard to fathom because their records have been so absolutely terrific so far in 2023. Um, I'm as stoked for this next major of the year as I've been in some time on both the women's and the men's side. So I, I think it's going to be terrific and it's, it's coming up soon, although we do have, uh, again, another 1,000-level tournament uh, coming up in Rome. So th- this time of the season is just loaded with big-time tournaments, uh, great matchups. Uh, tennis fans must absolutely be loving what they're seeing right now on the clay. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting uh, from week to week. I just continue on, on with a, a couple of women's stories. Um, you know, Amanda Nisimova played the first round of Madrid and she's just been struggling all season. Uh, I didn't quite know really what was going on with her form. She was a player I think we talked about, you know, in past years. And last year, I, I pegged her for a big breakthrough, and she did have some nice results. It, it just hasn't been clicking for her this season. And after she lost first round in Madrid, she made the announcement that she's taking a break from the sport uh, due to her mental health. And I, I think the timing 
of this and sort of tying it in with Tennis Canada's mental timeout initiative feels fitting because Anisimova, um, you know, admitted to to her fans that she she hasn't felt well or herself basically playing tournaments since last summer is what she said. She says she's feeling burnout. Uh, I know we've seen the exact same thing with Bianca Andreescu, uh, how she felt in 2021 when she was trying to play and, and really not mentally there, mentally right. So I think it's a good positive step in the right direction that Anisimova is able to be honest and forthright about this and put the racket down and, and take the knee to break that she, she needs right now. Yeah, tough to see any player go through a period of time where they're they're not feeling as as good as they they would like to and need to be to be able to compete week in and week out. We've seen the results. It's been four straight losses and and really hasn't been clicking for her in 2023 and even going back to last summer when it, when we saw her play here in Toronto, she went out early and sort of unexpectedly and this is a player who's been under the limelight since she was very young. Uh, she's only 21 years old, although it seems like she's been around already forever had that deep run going to the semis at Roland Garros, I want to say back when she was like 17. Um, and, and so, you know, a player who's had that pressure on her from a very young age. And, you know, we've seen it with Bianca here at home for Canadian tennis fans who's spoken very openly about the pressure she faced having huge success at a young age. And, and we're seeing something similar as well from Amanda Nisimova, who's been a pretty regular top 20, top 30 presence, you know, for many years now when she's on her game. But, uh, I remember when I spoke with her last summer in Toronto, I asked her, matter of factly, about uh, mental health because Tennis Canada had the mental timeout initiative that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. And I think you're going to share a little bit about it too in a moment. And she said to me, it was very important for her to get those breaks and to be able to go home and spend time with family and friends and, and not to be on the road for too many back-to-back tournaments. And the early part of the year when you're in Australia for that first whole month of the swing, and, and now with, you know, the clay tournament starting up in, in Europe, definitely not easy if you're someone who, who needs to have those breaks to go home. So we wish her the best. Such a nice young woman and, and a fantastic individual and tennis player and, and hope she can bounce back. And, and just like Bianca did, take that time away, get stronger, you know, sort things out and, and feel more of a, a complete person, not just as a tennis player. And, uh, and obviously we, we hope the best for her. Yeah, very well said. And uh, just a couple of details on Tennis Canada's mental timeout initiative. It's Bianca Andrescu, Alexi Gallerno, and Rob Shaw who are joining mental timeout as ambassadors as Tennis Canada will build on its mission to lead the conversation on mental health. And they've announced that Beniva, which is the largest mutual insurance company in Canada, will become the lead supporter of the mental health program. Should mention uh, the 2021 U.S. Open champion. I, I mean, it's it's often been a struggle for her since that incredible victory. Emma Raducanu uh, underwent surgery after withdrawing from Madrid, and we will see her out for a few months. She won't be competing at Wimbledon, unfortunately. And obviously, uh, with the break and, and where her ranking is at, she will be dropping out, out of the top 100. I always just remind people with Emma, I mean, she is so, so young. Same story with Amanda Nisimova, really. Uh, They're both still young and have such long careers ahead of them that sometimes a break, even if it's for injury in this case, uh, could be, um, you know, a glass half full situation for Emma, I think, coming back and maybe not feeling as much pressure on the court. So much talent, that much is undeniable, so much potential. And winning that U.S. Open at such a young age, you know, maybe it was too soon in, in a lot of ways. Not that she traded for anything, but the sudden fame and the sudden change in how much sponsors want a piece of you, 
tennis fans lining up when previously you were, you know, kind of riding the anonymity of probably outside of Great Britain, not really being uh, nearly as well known. And so that's a lot for anyone to handle. And uh, this is obviously a break for, you know, a physical injury that needs time to heal. But uh, I'm sure on the positive side that she'll she'll take from that, you know, just getting to enjoy life as a regular. What is she, 20, 21 year old right now? Um, you know, whatever, whatever her age is, she's, she's still quite young. So a lot of time to develop. You hope that she's surrounded by the right people. And uh, look, it, it hasn't been easy for a lot of these young players that achieve success at a, at a young age. Leilani Fernandez, who played her in that U.S. Open final. Uh, she had that injury about a year ago at the French yep. Open, still trying to find her game in singles, although it seems to be clicking real nice in doubles, which is, you know, definitely a positive. Um, but for Emma Raducanu, I have no doubt that we're we're going to see her back. But I think it's going to be a a slower progression. I don't see uh, you know another Grand Slam final in the cards anytime soon, and and I don't think that's a problem either. And it it shouldn't no. be seen as such by by anyone out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's still still just twenty years old. We'll turn twenty one in in November, and and many years ahead of her. If we shift over to the men's side. Um, I, I think the title list in this case in Madrid was not surprising. Uh, someone that maybe a lot of people projected and picked. Probably everything else was almost absolute chaos, but it is Carlos Alcaraz who wins Madrid, uh, defeating Jan Leonard Struff in three sets. So impressive for Struff uh, to push this match to three. Carlos Alcaraz now up to nine titles, three Masters 1000s in his career. He just turned 20 years old. With the win, Alcaraz sitting just five ranking points back of Djokovic as he successfully defends that title from last year, which I must admit the title last year was, I think, much more incredible in the sense that he beat Djokovic and Nadal in succession, which is almost unheard of. Uh, but if we step aside from Carlitos for a moment and maybe talk about all the other elements that that happened in this uh, event, I'm going to guess, Mike, that you didn't have Jan Leonard Struff in your championship match in your bracket challenge for Tennis Buddy, I, Canada. I hardly, I hardly <laughs> had any of those quarterfinalists in my bracket challenge with Tennis Canada and Anyone, anyone who got more than like three of them, I want to say, is an absolute legend for those predictions because that draw turned into just a beautiful disaster, and mm-hmm. uh, and I loved watching it all unfold. I mean, first of all, just Jan Leonard Struff getting to—he never even really, you know, belonged there because he lost in qualies, and he lost <laughs> yeah. in qualies to Karatsev, who he ends up facing then again in the semifinals. I mean, how how many times has that happened at a Masters one thousand level tournament that you get bounced? Find your way in as a lucky loser, only to play the guy that bounced you that deep in the tournament. I wonder if that's even ever happened before. It's so crazy. And then you look at some of the quarterfinalists and their rankings coming into Madrid. You had Altmaier, who was ranked 92nd. Zhang, who was ranked 99th. Karatsev, ranked 121st coming in. And Struff, who was ranked 65th. So incredible that all these guys had, you know, in some cases, career weeks, obviously, making it this deep in the tournament. I'm sure tournament organizers weren't maybe as thrilled as uh, as these players and their families and teams must have been to have such a great run, but uh, certainly adds a lot of um, intrigue as we approach the next slam and must give a lot of confidence to players that are lower ranked that, hey, if these guys can do it, why can't I do something like that in Rome or perhaps even in, in Paris? So the men's game, although Alcaraz is really consolidating that, that uh, top, you know, he's not the number one ranked player, although you said really close. But I, I think right now he is undisputedly the favorite. Um, but beyond that, uh, yeah, a lot of people who could find themselves in the mix if Madrid is any indication. Yeah, look, no top 10 player outside of Alcaraz in Madrid got past the quarterfinals, which 
I, I guess you could look at this in a couple different ways. Is this you know, a weak era of unsuccessful top 20 players not getting the job done? Or is it immense depth right now on the ATP tour where the margins are so thin that you can have guys, you know, outside of the top 50 in the 90s um, beating top, top players because everybody is so strong and talented. I want to, you know, probably lean to the latter. um, Or or is it just a one-off? Or is it just a one-off? And it was just a, a crazy tournament with a lot of upsets going on and some players just hitting their stride and catching lightning in a bottle. I don't think we'll see this in Rome. I think players are going to, you know, the top guys are going to say, Hey, this is the time when I've got to really, you know, tighten things up before the next slam. Uh, I mean, we'll find out in, in a couple of weeks time as this one plays out in Rome, but I would expect more sort of, you know, the draw holding more true. I would say as we get closer to Paris. Yeah, that's fair. And, and just props to Jan Leonard Struff, by the way, um, maybe Karatsev was a little ticked uh, in the semifinals. It's like, didn't I already beat this guy <laughs> just a handful of days ago? Why do I have to play him again? But the way Struff played, particularly in the quarterfinal against Stefano Tsitsipas, I don't think he has a higher level than that. It was unbelievable. Uh, I know he he's always had a big game, the big serve forehand combination. He's willing to go to net, but the way he was returning, I think Tsitsipas was was stunned um, that he was forced on the back foot so often. So Struff really, you know, found his top top level of tennis, and he's a guy we've talked about in the past. As I've always viewed him as a, a Canadian killer. He's always given Denis Shapovalov a lot of trouble in the right. past in some big yep. matches. He actually beat him at Davis Cup. Uh, um, you know, just this this past November in in one of the singles ties. So, uh, but for him to uh, achieve a final is is truly incredible, and also making it such a worthwhile final, going three sets with Alcaraz is is also really impressive. Agreed, and and I wonder for him if it was just kind of finding that that new lease on life that he had nothing to lose. Hey, I yep. already lost in qualies. You know, by all accounts, I I, may, I maybe you know shouldn't have even gotten here. So. I'm just going to go out blazing and go for it because what do I have to lose? And maybe that mentality kind of played into his, his deep run there as well. But, you know, Chapo must be sitting there thinking, see, everybody, I told you this guy's got talent for all those times <laughs> that he seems to beat me, right? Yeah, exactly. Shapovalov and uh, Felix Ojeleseum did make the quarterfinals of doubles. Uh, so we, we should venture over to the action in Rome. Unfortunately, Dennis actually pulled out of Rome due to a minor injury. Felix Ojeleseum had the early exit in Madrid. I know he wants more match play and hopefully he can get some victories. He'll be in the same quarter, actually, as Novak Djokovic, who will be the number one seed in Rome. And this is the first draw we've had in 2023 that's featured Carl. Los Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic. We've been waiting for this. Now the question is, can we see a match between the two? Yeah, I almost feel like it's too soon. And especially the way Djokovic was trending on the clay court events before he stepped back to sort of, you know, give his elbow a chance to hopefully heal up. So I, I don't know if it's realistic to see him go that deep just based on what we've seen lately. But Djokovic also has this uncanny ability sometimes where, you know, he looks injured and I'm not questioning that or he is injured but his body has this resilient ability to still put out some of his best tennis. So who knows what we'll see if it doesn't happen in this tournament, my God, do I want to see the two of them play each other hopefully soon. And several times this year, when you're that close, you know, five points between one and two, Mm -hmm. it really deserves to be settled in a match between them. If that could, you know, somehow come to be. Yeah, definitely. And I, I will say about Rome, uh, in the past when Novak has struggled on clay, though it hasn't looked this bad in a while, he does seem to find another gear when he plays in Rome at the Italian Open. And just a stat, since 2005, 
Um, Nadal and Djokovic have combined to win this tournament the last six, 16 times since 2005, which is staggering. So, now, Rafa's collected, so selfish, those <laughs> Rafa's collected 10 of those, Djokovic with six, and so often they've played in these unbelievable classic finals. Uh, now, that one hope won't happen. Rafa did drop out of Rome, and I think that definitely raises more alarm bells. Is he going to be fit and healthy and ready to compete for Roland Garros? That remains up in the air. I, I don't even know which way to lean at this point. There's, there's no way to know, and you can never count him out because you know that tournament he's going to do every, even with no preparation, he's still going to do everything possible to get in there and play it because even if in his mind he doesn't think 2023 is going to be his last year on tour and who knows what his plans are, mm-hmm. there's only so many left. You know what? How many more could he have after this? One, maybe yeah. two at most, you know, the yeah. way things are sort of going. So I think he's still going to do everything if he can. If he's not going to risk making anything worse, I say he'd still show up and give it a crack at it, and I'd still put him in the second week just because of who he is and how much it means to him and how much you know that crowd is going to absolutely be behind every shot he makes out there. Oh, 100%. Uh, if we touch on the women's field, just just quickly, of course, Iga Sviantek will have that number one seat again. Arena Sabalenka will be number two. Leila Annie Fernandez is in the draw for Rome, and she will face uh, Sasnovich in her first round match. Bianca Andrescu, the 24th seed, uh, does get a bye, and she'll await the winner of former French Open finalist Marketa Vondrasova or Kaya Kanepi. So I, I'd hope to see some more match play for Bianca and Leila and, and maybe get a couple match wins under their belt with Roland Garros around the corner would be ideal. Yeah, and how about Bianca up around 24th seeded for this tournament? I mean, things have been going pretty decently for her despite the month off with that ligament injury that she sustained. I mean, when you think about it, coming back and having to work her ranking, you know, slowly back up and and not having any ranking points to have defended from 2022 in the early portion of the season. I mean, sure, we could argue that, you know, there was no tournament victory and she could have gone deeper in some draws, but I think all in all, things are kind of trending in the right direction. If what we saw from her, you know, in Indian Wells and certainly in Miami before the injury is any indication, I, I think she's getting back to being that top 20 type player, even potentially better. So, um, you know, fingers crossed for good health, always with Bianca. But um, she looks like she's optimistic about what she can do. And again, one of those players nobody's going to want to face in Roland Garros. I mean, I bet you if you were to put down top 10 players you don't want to face, a lot of players are going to put her on that list for them. Definitely. And uh, she did post a good result in Rome uh, this time last year, so it does have some points to to defend. But but for the most part, it, it's still a, a nice open calendar for Bianca moving forward uh, with, with chances for great results. We will be back with more episodes of uh, Matchpoint Canada, we can promise you, as uh, we await, await Roland Garros in just a few weeks' time. Uh, guys, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time.